Lord Jesus, as we make this journey through Holy Week, help us to understand why it is that you went into Jerusalem for us. Why is it that you went to the upper room? Why is it you went to the cross? Why is it you rose on that Easter? And Lord, as we understand the why, help us to embrace the truth into our hearts and lives and to live it out in what we say and what we do. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1942, the world was in a very bad way. A dictator by the name of Adolf Hitler had taken most all of Europe and was extending his reach into Russia. Joseph Stalin, the leader of Russia, reached out to the Allies and said, we need help. We need to have a second front to this battle. We need a landing somewhere in Europe so that the German army would then be pushed in two directions. And so in 1942, planning began for an operation called Operation Overlord. And the Supreme Commander, Dwight Eisenhower, oversaw this whole event and many people working with him. And the plan was to land in France on the beaches that were heavily fortified. And it was going to be a very risky operation. It would involve a lot of people. Ultimately, millions of people would pour through those beaches and all the infrastructure, all the um, material needs that those forces would need. And the plan went on for two years, and eventually it came time for the plan to be executed. The day before June 6th of 1944, Eisenhower wrote a letter. And basically he wrote that in the event that this operation fails... I take full responsibility. But we know what happened. The landing took place on June 6th. And for the Americans that landed, especially on Omaha Beach, the fighting was fierce. And many of the initial waves of Americans that landed on that beach, they were killed or they were wounded. But they kept going forward. They kept fighting forward. And ultimately, that beachhead was taken. A new front was formed. And less than a year after that event... Hitler and his forces were defeated. And I thought about that event as I thought about Palm Sunday, the sacrifice, the planning which took place, that ultimately we have the freedoms that we have today because of sacrifices of so many that have served and, and fought for us. And on Palm Sunday, what took place was another operation. We can call it Operation Lord. But ultimately, Jesus went into Jerusalem to win a victory for us. He went on the offensive. And ultimately, this didn't happen overnight. There was a plan that he executed over a three-year period in particular. If you study the Gospels, you look at the three years from the age of 30 to 33 as he prepared for this event, that he found some followers. I think sometimes as we look at, you know, how Jesus did things, as you read the gospel, you think he walked around, okay, you, 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 he chose the 12, and they kind of meandered around, eventually they went on to Jerusalem. It was much more organized than that. In fact, he didn't have, didn't have 12. He had 84. Plus, he had some other people involved, too, with his, his team. And from those 84, eventually about a year and a half into his three-year time of training, he came down from a mountain one day, and he, after praying, he said, of you 84, I choose 12 to be my apostles. 
And the other 72 were still involved in the ministry. They're the ones that went to all the towns and the villages ahead of time to prepare for his arrival. In fact, when you think about it, when he went to Jericho, the people were in the streets already. How did they know he was going to come? They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have texts. They didn't have the news like we have today. Part of those 72 went there and they prepared the way and said, Jesus will be here on this day at this time. The same was true for Jerusalem. When they went in to Jerusalem, Paul said, the people were in the streets. They knew he was coming because preparation had been done. In the last year and a half of his ministry, he really focused on training those 12 apostles. And of the 12, there were three that were kind of like the main generals. Who were they? Peter and James and John. And sometimes they did things that the other nine did not, were not involved in. In fact, at one point, Jesus went up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and, and two other very important people from Scripture showed up. And who were they? Moses and Elijah. Moses, the giver of the law, that God brought the law through him, and Elijah, the greatest of all the prophets, pointing to Jesus and connecting people to the word. And, and so you're ha- here you have Jesus there with Moses and Elijah. What were they talking about? And I'm convinced they were talking about the plans, the battle plan, the offensive, which is about ready to take place. And Jesus went down from that mountain to some more training with his disciples. And eventually the day came for that Palm Sunday. And everything was planned, even as far as the donkey and the, and the colt, that Jesus had it all arranged ahead of time. Every, he found it just exactly as he said it would be the case. And he gets on the donkey, begins to journey um, through Jerusalem, and all the people are singing their hosannas and their, their praises. But all along, Jesus knew where this journey was taking him. And where was that? to a cross. They had no clue what was going on, but Jesus knew it ahead of time. In fact, as Jesus was going down those streets, he knew what was in the minds of every single person there. He could read their minds because he's God in human form. And I believe there's four different groups of people that were in that crowd, and the same four groups are in the world today. And the first group were those who thought he would be a great political leader, that he would go into Jerusalem, he'd kick out the Romans, and ultimately Jerusalem would be free from the tyranny of the Romans and the center of the world, the Jewish nation would be restored. A lot of people thought he would be the one that, that bring them the worldly things they need to have a great life now. And a lot of people in the world today are the same way. They may believe in Jesus, but he's kind of like their good luck charm. If things are going bad, they pray to him. If they need something, they seek him out. And their focus is on worldly things. There's some in that category. Then there are those who were jealous and thought he was a threat. The sad thing was in that day and age, those people were the church. The church at that time that was supposed to be representing God and really representing Jesus, but yet they were jealous of him. They were concerned they were going to lose their flock because the people were flocking to Jesus. And ultimately, that group became the ones who put Jesus on that cross. You think about the world today. Christianity remains the most persecuted religion in the world. Every year, thousands of Christians are being put to death. Even in our own country. I believe that Christianity is under more attack now than I've ever seen in my 32 years of ministry. We just got done the Generation Series, and we talked last week about Generation Z. 40% of that generation is atheist or agnostic. The sad thing was, just over a little over 20 years ago, less than 4% of our country was atheist or agnostic. The world is changing. And some of these people in that atheist agnostic camp are, they're a full force attack on Christianity. So we are indeed a religion under attack. And people still attacking 
the cause of Jesus. The next group, those who were unsure, those who were trying to, to figure out what is this all about? Who is this Jesus? The seekers. And in the world today, a lot of people are curious. They're wondering, who is Jesus? In fact, this week is probably one of the best weeks to invite someone to church, especially those that are seeking. And I want to encourage you to think about doing that as we have, especially for Easter. And those who believed he was the Messiah. Back then, it was a small group that believed he was a Messiah. Over the last 2,000 years, that group has grown to over 2 billion people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Which of these four groups are you part of? And I pray that we're part of that last group. And that we realize something. That Jesus ultimately came to bring so much more than what is humanly possible. You see, we have four enemies. Four very difficult enemies. Sin death, Satan, and hell. Sin, death, Satan, and hell. We cannot stop sinning. We cannot take our own sin away. We cannot take away death. We cannot stop that from happening. We cannot defeat Satan on our own. We cannot deliver ourselves from hell. But Jesus went into those streets of Jerusalem on a mission to make those things a reality for us today. In fact, I want to take a little further. I believe that when he was going down those streets, he was thinking about you before you were even born because he's God. I believe if you're the only person in the world, he still would have done it for you because that's the kind of God he is, a God of love, a God of compassion who loves us more than we could ever begin to imagine. Do you realize that Jesus has something so much better for you? So much better than you. For you. You know, I was this little couple weeks ago, and I shared this Wednesday before last. I was over um, at the McDonald's on Indian Bend, um, kind of between Pima and the, and the freeway, and it was a long line. It was a Saturday. On Saturdays in that area, that whole parking lot is converted into what? A parking area for what? For cars. All these, you know, interesting looking cars. And I want to make something clear there is nothing wrong with having hobbies, okay? But that line was long, and I'm kind of watching what's going on. And what I realized for some of the owners of the cars, I watched them, that car was like their God, okay? And I could tell for some of them, they're just waiting for somebody to walk over to them and say, that's an amazing car. And they're going to say, yeah, that's my car, (laughs) yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, what's going to happen if someone steals that car? Or what's going to happen if that car breaks down? You see, everything in his life, it comes and it goes. And the only way we can enjoy what's here is if we put Jesus first. Because what he brings is eternal. What he brings lasts forever. And the only way we can enjoy this life is to have him be first and to realize that what he came to bring, he fulfilled, you know, through that journey on Holy Week that ultimately through him, we have forgiveness through him. We have eternal life. And the more that we embrace that and embrace and realize that death is defeated and our future is secure, the more we can enjoy each and every day what he came to bring is not just heaven, which is fantastic. He wants us to have a great life even now. And the only person that can stop you from having that great life is who? Yourself. And I pray that through this Holy Week, we're going to realize more the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. What did he really come to do? He came to bring deeper love into each of our lives. 
And that love is pouring down all the time. That love is here, and he wants us to embrace it. He wants us to share it. And as I look back over the last 11 years, what I see is love and action. You see, the more I thought about our faith, and, you know, as far as I, you know, I realize our Christian faith is not a complicated religion. There's love and there's sin, okay? And Jesus came to take away the sins so that it could be more what? Love. And the more that his spirit fills us, and the less we sin, um, we're never going to be perfect, but the more love is going to be showing forth. And what I've seen is love. And when I came here 11 years ago, um, the congregation um, had been about the same size for about 20 years. And churches have a 30-year cycle, typically 35 years. And between years 30 and maybe 35, a church will plateau. And then after that, guess what happens? It starts to decline. We're right at that point where a church would probably start declining. And what I saw in you and what God poured through you is love. And the church began to grow. And it grew, and, and ultimately, I saw through you love and, and a willingness to take risks, to go on the offensive. And we didn't have a plan to expand to another campus, but we took on another campus, which allowed for our preschool to grow from 70 spots filled to 300 spots, the second largest preschool in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And one thing I want to make clear, sometimes we wonder on this campus, where are the kids? Go over there sometime. You're going to see a lot of them. And it's part of us, okay? It's part of us. I was there last week, and it was spring break. A lot of families are gone. There's still kids all over the place. In our Christian day school and, and, you know, the expansion, you know, as far as people, more people involved in Bible study, more people involved in mission. And the bottom line is when things are going that direction, what is in action is love. I see the um, former president of Desert Foothills Lutheran Church, Julian Fruling, over here. And a number of years back, um, you know, they went, that church was going through a really rough time. It's a daughter church we, we planted many, many years ago. And what do we do as a congregation? In love, we walked alongside of them. We helped them to, you know, to get through that rough time, and they're doing really well. And I could spend all day long going around this room and just pointing individuals out and talking about different situations about how God works in his love to push things forward. And what I want to encourage as I finish up my time here with you in the next couple of weeks is to remain on the offensive, to keep pushing forward with the love of Jesus Christ. And I thank God for you. I thank God for this partnership. You know, God has a plan for each and every one of us. And, and I've got to be honest, I've typically, I'm in a church from four to eight years. I've been here 11 years. And your love has kept me here. And I felt your love, and I love you guys. But one thing I feel more than anything is God's love for you. Sometimes I'm up here preaching, I just feel this incredible sense of love coming through me from him to you because I just know how deeply he cares about you. He's thinking about each and every one of us all the time. There's something that I really want you to know more than anything else. What I want you to know is that God loves you so incredibly much. And through Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And I want to share with you a a story. I've shared this before, okay? But as I thought back and reflect on the last 11 years, this event really hit me. It's a supernatural event that took place. I wish it could happen more often, something like this, as far as how God intervened. But years ago, um, we're renting a house, and we were notoriously late sometimes to pay the rent, so I had to run the check all the way to Mesa um, for the property management company. And the gal in charge of our property was um, a former Missouri Lutheran had fallen away. 
And when she found out I was a Missouri City pastor, it kind of first was a little bit shocking for her, but we began to have these monthly dialogues. And she was taking care of raising her grandkids um, because her daughter was, had a, was in a rehab for, for drugs and kind of in and out of prison. And, and her, her husband also worked for the same company. He had cancer. And then the Great Recession hit, and both of them lost their jobs. And our congregation did what it so often does. We provided, um, we paid for their rent for a number of months. We helped them with food and the necessities they needed to get by. And her husband was not a believer. And one day she said, my husband wants to meet you. And so she brought him to my office. He walked in and he was two months before, they kind of anticipated about two months more he would live with his cancer. He must have been 120 pounds, just skin and bone. And he sat down and he goes, Pastor John, I want to thank you and your congregation for the love you've shown to me and my family during this tough time. And he goes, you know, I really don't believe in God, but um, because I really have a hard time understanding how your God could be a God of love. Because I have cancer, and I'm not going to be there when my grandsons graduate from high school. I'm not going to be there when my grandsons get married someday. I'm not going to be there for my wife to support her in these months and years to come. How can your God be a God of love? Now, if there's any theological experts out there who can give me the answer to say right there, what do you say? I was like, blank. And I just kind of put my hands in the air, and I said, because God I said that when I said the word loves, all of a sudden I had this love hit me. That I just, I, that, that moment I wish I could stay in that moment. I just felt God's love hit me because God loves you. And when I said the you, it's like that love went through me and it went right to them. And I'm thinking, is this real in my dream? And I'm looking at them and they're bawling. They're crying. They're hugging each other. And the guy goes, God loves me. God loves me. And it was so incredible to, to see what took place at that second. I realized it's not about me. It's about God and about his love. And, and I saw him the next two months a number of times. And every time I saw him, he said to me, God loves me. And the very last words he said to me before he died, before he went to heaven, God loves me. And I share that story. I know for some of you have heard it before, but I just... It just reminds me of, of, of God's love for each and every one of us. To know that he loves us, he forgives us, our future is incredible. You know, that I, he wants you to have the most incredible life. Don't have to wait to go to heaven. I mean, it's, heaven's going to be great, but to start the joy and the celebration now and, and to be on the offensive and love, to keep pushing out there, to get outside of our comfort zones because so often we want to be comfortable, but that is a boring life, folks. Get ourselves out there. When you leave here in a little bit, you're going to be out in the community. Maybe you're going to go to a restaurant. Maybe you're going to go to the store. Look at that cashier at the store and just smile at them and show them love. And that, that um, you know, waiter or waitress, go there and be nice to them and kind to them. In fact, um, make sure you give them a good tip, okay? If they know you. <laughs> That's really important. Um, I got to be honest, years ago, I was, a, I was you know, a waiter when I was going through seminary, and, and I worked sometimes Sunday afternoons and during the lunch crowd, and, and um, the worst tippers, guess who they were? The Christians, you know, and I felt so bad about that first, my friends that weren't believers that saw witness that type of thing. But get the love of Christ out there more and more. And I just thank God for you. And I know that God has greater plans for this church and for this school. 
He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. And I'm going to the plan that, that I think he wants for me. And he's got a plan for you. And I encourage you, don't hold back. Just like Jesus was on the offensive on that Palm Sunday, he was walking into a meat grinder. Sometimes it may feel that way. But that's where ministry, and that's where love takes place. When people are willing to step out in faith and sacrifice. A number of years ago, I wrote a song. Um, it's called, Why Did You Ride For Me? And I wrote it and recorded it, and, and I'm going to attempt to sing it. You may want to sing along with me if you'd like to. And I've done this before, so I think some of you may know this song. And it, it kind of talks about Palm Sunday, but at the end, it kind of it answers a question, why? 